Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. We've got a special guest today back on the episode. He's actually one of the, on our first episodes, I think, Richie, were like episode number six or something. It's actually one of our highest rated episodes so far in like the top five downloads. So we wanted to bring Richard back on from Cabo Aero Service to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart and to his. And that is pre-buy inspections and also kind of the process of buying an airplane, buying your first airplane. There's a lot of things you got to look out for. And uh, we're going to talk about some because uh, I've bought several airplanes. Rich owns an airplane and has done pre-buys on a ton of them. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. Thanks for coming back on with us today, Rich. Uh, this topic's kind of exciting for me because owning an airplane is getting closer and closer to being something that I can do, more of a reality for me. Uh, brands even talked to me a couple times like, hey, do you want this one? And like that's that's a little expensive, a little out of my price range. Um, I'm looking for something maybe like the, the cost of a bike right now. But <laughs> I, I know both you and Brandon have had plenty of experience together and separately when it comes to buying and inspecting airplanes. So today I wanted to actually uh, ask both of you guys questions. So first off, Brandon, how do I know what type of plane I should be looking for? Well, looking for a type of airplane is is something that's unique to everybody. And first off, by the way, uh, I tried to convince Carson to buy a Cessna 152 with me uh, like a month ago, and he said no. That was as close to a bicycle as I could find. (laughs) I mean, it was literally one of the cheapest things close to a bicycle I could find. Um, And he said no. I still bought the 152, by the way. Um, I think Rich is just finishing it up like today. Um, the annual on it. Cause I wanted it gone through by rich. I don't trust other people, um, that well when it comes to aircraft maintenance, unless I know them really well. So, um, back to your question. So wh- what is something you should look for? I think you should look and see what your, your realistic, uh, objective is with flying. Like, do you want to fly to like, we live in Southern California. So I'm going to use kind of examples from that. Like, uh, do you want to fly to Vegas? Like in a 172, that's an hour and 45 minutes to two hours away. Do you want to fly to wine country? Do you just want to go get the $100 hamburger and putt-putt around uh, Southern California? Do you want to go 50 miles and go to Catalina and back? Um, or do you want to go across the actual country and like go to Dallas or go to Denver or go to Washington with your airplane? You got to look what that mission is. And then you also need to see, well, how many people do I want to bring with me? Am I just going to take my husband or my wife? Am I going to take um, my spouse and my kids? How many kids do I have? Um, are they small kids? Are they are they big kids? How much do they weigh? Um, am I looking to take a trip that is like just an overnight or, or same day trip? Or am I looking to take a trip that's like a week long where I need to take a ton of luggage? So these are all factors that you have to think about um, when buying an airplane. And I always recommend if you kind of have, I don't know, four or five people in your family and you've got younger kids and you want to go a decent distance and get there in a decent amount of time with a, a low cost, I always, I tell a lot of people a Cherokee 6 or a, or a Piper Lance or, or something or Saratoga, depending on what your budget is. Uh, those are all airplanes that can haul a lot of weight. They don't go super fast, uh, but they go fast enough and the range is good enough uh, for everybody, even though my range is just whatever my bladder is, which... Uh, is how I identify with, with airplanes, like how long I want it to, to fly in. So really you have to look in and ask yourself, like, what is your mission? I mean, you could also have a different kind of mission. Like, Hey, I just want to go fly solely by myself and I want to do aerobatics. So I want to go buy a pits or I just want to go fly low and slow. Uh, so, and I want to fly back country. So I want to get 
uh, get some type of stole airplane, or I want to compete in competitions uh, like national stole, things like that. So those are all different different things you could look for when buying an airplane. So you have to ask yourself kind of a lot of questions, and then and then narrow it down from there. Thanks, Brian. Uh, you know, after I you know, really figure out what kind of plane that I'm looking for, where do I actually go and find one? Where where do I look to uh, to find that kind of airplane that I, I decided I wanted? So there's a ton of places, uh, believe it or not. Facebook Marketplace is probably one of the most prominent places to buy and sell airplanes right now. Um, that sounds crazy, I know. But I will get multiple offers on a plane that I have for sale in like the first day, a week. It hardly ever takes a month uh, to sell an airplane uh, through Facebook Marketplace, unless it's just totally overpriced or something's really wrong with it or it's a really specialty airplane. But normally, like I sold a Cherokee 6, I think in, I don't know, two days. Um, and I had multiple offers within like 20 minutes on Facebook Marketplace. And I posted also to Trade a Plane, which is another place you can look for aircraft, uh, Barnstormers, uh, Wing Swap, uh, Controller. I posted to all these places the same day. And I didn't start getting hits on the airplane from any of the other locations until a few days later. And I barely got any comments or, or messages. So really Facebook Marketplace um, and some of the groups in there that that obviously you get acquainted with. Uh, those are the places that, that I always go personally to buy and sell airplanes. So it sounds like an easier process than I thought, um, you know, not being someone that buys airplanes all the time and sells them like you do. Um, I, I just wouldn't know where to look. So Facebook marketplace is a little bit, sounds a little weird, but I, I understand it works. Uh, so now that I know where to look for them. I'm assuming you don't want to go rush into it. So how long does it usually take to find a good one when you're looking to buy that kind of airplane? And how often can you negotiate on that price once you found a good one? If you find a good one, it's probably going to be gone quickly, but it really depends on the market. The market can be really high or really low. There could be a lot of buyers, a lot of sellers. It really depends on the airplane you're looking for. Like if you go and try and buy a Cessna 172 right now, just get ready to go spend a lot of money. If you go try to buy a 182, the market has calmed down a little bit, but it's still really high. Same thing with Bonanzas, super high market right now. Uh, But if you go and try to buy like a a Cessna 337, a Skymaster, push-puller airplane. So you can negotiate on those probably a little bit more, especially if most people are buying those. You've got a little more knowledge. But honestly, it, it's just a buying and seller's market. I mean, whoever whoever gives the best offer to the seller is going to win it. Um, you can always try and negotiate, but if you try to lowball airplane people, um, they normally will just laugh at your face and they prefer not to even sell the airplane. I mean, most people who have airplanes have, have done well in business or in life and they don't like to be lowball. They just want to make a good business deal. I mean, it's just straightforward, good business. Uh, they don't want to mess around and play games. They just want to do the deal and and be done with it. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Um, it's not too complicated to go and find that airplane and buy it. Uh, but after you found the one that looks good to you, what's the next step? 100% sign a contract with that person, put a small deposit, agree on some terms, try to put the deposit in escrow. Don't send it to them. Um, directly. Um, I use an escrow company called Aerospace Reports quite often. AOPA even recommends them and I've used them, I don't know, for a lot of transactions uh, whenever I do do use escrow and they're fantastic. They're not a sponsor of ours yet, uh, but they are are an awesome company to work with and I, I would highly recommend them. Besides that, the biggest thing and the reason why we have Rich on and he hasn't talked in the past seven minutes or so is because we need to get pre-buy inspections. And that is on every airplane that you go buy. I don't care how how well you vet an airplane or how many airplanes you've bought, you need to go get a pre-buy inspection. I'll tell you this, I bought one airplane, a Cessna 172, 
without a pre-buy inspection uh, because I figured, oh, it's a good deal. And I looked at it personally. I figured, oh, I've looked at countless 172s. I know them really well. Well, guess what? I screwed up and I missed something on my my personal pre-buy inspection because I am not a mechanic. And it came back and uh, Rich told me that I have to spend $5,000 on parts and labor uh, to fix uh, a flap track that I did not see that had corrosion in it. Um, a pre-buy inspection is of utmost importance. And to get one from someone you trust, not someone the seller trusts, um, get someone that you trust. That means pay extra money, send someone there, or find someone you know on, a, on the field. Don't use the seller's friends. They are not your friends. They are the seller's friends. I would just say get a pre-buy inspection. It's super important. Thanks, Brandon. Um, glad you at least admit your mistakes when it comes to that. <laughs> so, Rich, um, the man with all the knowledge, when it comes to that pre-buy inspection, how many do you think you've done? Let me take a think about that. Let's see. I think probably 50 or 60 pre-buys in the last 12 years of uh, working in the field. It's a good amount of planes to go through you. Um, so, you know, having done so many of them, how does it start? Do you go to the plane? Does it come to you? Well, usually I get a phone call from the potential buyer and we either set up me going to the plane or the plane coming to me. Either way, depends on location and various other issues that might come up. But um, yeah, we just talk over the phone with, with the potential buyer. We set up a time and I get some paperwork and we figure out when we're going to get it done. Uh, easy enough. And I know you and Brandon have gone together to, to these pre-buy inspections. So is he just sitting there relaxing, watching you work the whole time or does he help out? <laughs> no, he does help out. Um, you know, he and I have, have uh, traveled all across the country and looking at all various types of aircraft uh, I usually have him on the paperwork side while I'm doing the uh, wrenching side of doing the actual physical inspection. Um, but there's a lot to do with paperwork. I mean, half the airplane's value is in paperwork. So um, matter of fact, before we even start the inspection, we go over paperwork just to make sure that airplane is in airworthy condition. And there is, you know, just all the paperwork is in order. And if it's not, then we have our notes that we you know, can negotiate on pricing for, for things like that. Yeah. Paperwork's really, really important. Uh, I have to, like you said, like half the value of an airplanes in logbooks essentially. Um, and sometimes an airplane can almost never be airworthy again if they don't have any logbooks. Uh, I actually had a couple discussions with the FAA. I said, what happens if you lose all the logbooks? They said, well, you can't reconstruct them. And then I talked to another FAA inspector and was like, yes, you can. And it's really funny because it's hard to go back and forth, but essentially if you lose logbooks to like to an airplane, there's engine ADs that you can't confirm if they've ever been complied with unless you physically, you actually do like a whole teardown inspection or an overhaul on that engine sometimes. And that can be anywhere from 20 to a hundred thousand dollars on engines um, if you don't have logbooks. So it's really, really, really important. And besides that, I know you mentioned paperwork. Paperwork is also important for another reason. Like does the airplane have a lien on it? So airplanes don't have titles um, per se, like a car does, like you don't get a pink slip in the mail from the DMV um, or whatever your state's uh, motor vehicle licensing program is, but it's actually with the FAA and all they do is is uh, track the chain of history of an airplane. So they check, track the chain of title, all based on bill of sales and contracts that have been submitted to the FAA. So I always run a... Um, 
a history on the airplane, and I also run a registration search. Um, and I actually do that through Aerospace Reports. And if you're an AOPA member, they actually give you a discount on that. And that will save you a bunch of time before you even hire somebody to go look at the airplane. Spend 75 bucks or whatever it costs to run the paperwork. They'll tell you right away, hey, there's been a lien on it since 1985. Well, a lien since 1985 probably doesn't matter. No one probably cares about it, right? But if somebody decided they want to go after your airplane, now they have legal right to it and you just spent a hundred grand. That doesn't sound like a very good idea to let that cloud. So whenever there's liens on airplanes, I pretty much just stay away unless I can get the lien cleared, which is always a, a really good thing. So outside of that, you're right. Paperwork. How about like AD inspections, like ADs? How, how important are those to, to look at? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, with every, uh, I, I have a program that I can, you know, put in the computer and it pulls up you know, all the AD information on that aircraft, airframe, engine, propeller. And yeah, before we even start the inspection, I pull the AD report, see what ADs are recurring, what ADs are, you know, are newer, which ones uh, should be done and completed. And when we start our paperwork, we go through all the AD list as well. And sometimes that's uh, flipping through every single page of the logbooks to find when the ADs were completed. So it's a little bit of a grueling process, but definitely one that needs to be done, especially, you know, if you're buying an airplane, you never know what you're going to get. So it's um, very important to do that. And Rich, what are ADs? Because I know some of the people are listening on here might not know what an AD is. What does AD stand for and who issues them? And do you have to comply with them or, or not? Yeah, um, ADs stand for Airworthiness Directives, and it's uh, put out by the FAA. Um, and it's usually when something unsafe uh, is wrong with a certain e- component, whether it's the airframe, engine, propeller, uh, or or um, you know any of the uh, accessories that go with it. And sometimes, yeah, people. Most ADs that come out is because an airplane had crashed because something had failed and somebody had passed away. And, you know, it's to keep the airplanes more safe. Uh, They are 100 percent. You must do them or the airplane is not airworthy and um, you can get in trouble. And, you know, if something happens to you, you know, that's when the insurance doesn't pay out because the AD didn't get done. Yeah, exactly. So that's super important. Um, I know on the news lately, um, in the aviation news, I heard about uh, SR-22s, the new Cirruses, all getting grounded right now. I think everything since like the past five years or something like that all got grounded uh, because of a continental engine issue. Now, I haven't looked too much into that issue itself, but um, they've grounded all their airplanes and they've recommended to all their owners to ground the airplanes. Uh, but I haven't seen an airworthiness directive come out. So do do all the owners have to comply with that or or should they comply with it? Or, or what's your kind of opinion on this new thing that just happened? So they came out with what's called a mandatory service bulletin, which is mandatory by the manufacturer. Uh, mostly happens to, uh, to do with newer aircraft that are under warranty by, you know, uh, in, within a, if, like a new airplane within a few years. Um, so if, Technically, you don't have to do it, um, but like legally, you don't have to do it, but it is a very good idea um, because usually after the mandatory service bulletin comes very shortly, an AD comes out and then it will be mandatory to do it. Um, A lot of the companies will have some sort of warranty on it under it 
so it'll be covered. Uh, but that's you know all up to the service bulletin how how they format it and everything. So I'm I don't have the information right in front of me, but I do know what you're talking about with that engine, um, and it's a counterbalance issue, and so um, and, and it's mostly by the the engines that were either rebuilt or overhauled by Continental in a time frame on that. So that's, that's really good information. I know that I, I told icon one day because I had a warranty issue and I was like, Hey, I've got this issue, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I know there's been a service bulletin come out, but I know those aren't mandatory. And they said they're mandatory to us. So the manufacturers really care about it. Even though if the FAA doesn't say they're mandatory, because the FAA is really the rule on it, but essentially icon won't, um, won't, go through with any of my warranty information or, or let me use my warranty unless uh, I have complied with all their mandatory service bulletins. And they don't even call them mandatory service. They just call them service bulletins, at least the ones I've gotten from Icon. Um, so you should really comply with those. And those are something that you can also look for on a pre-buy inspection. So back to it. Um, aside from everything we just talked about, Rich, what do you look for when you start one of these inspections? Once the once the paperwork's been looked at and there's been a contract signed by the possible new owner. First thing we do is we'll go out and run the airplane, make sure it's in good running order, check all the lighting, check the, the physical uh, appearance of the aircraft, make sure there's no bumps or, or um, scratches or dents or anything, you know, uh, visually on the exterior. And then we'll open it up like we're going to do like an annual or 100-hour inspection and check inside the cowling, do compression checks, bore scope the cylinders if is needed, check the landing gear, the brake system. I mean, we just go through the airplane and um, nothing is nothing's considered maintenance what we're doing. We're just inspecting. So we're just opening up panels, you know, possibly putting the airplane on jacks, checking the landing gear, empennage, propeller, and just getting a general condition of the aircraft um, as it is. And I'm sure it's things that you absolutely want to avoid uh, when you when you inspect these and you say, don't buy this airplane. What would make you say that? Uh, have you said it before? That is a good question. And yes, I have said it before. And, you know, paperwork is one of those things where if, if there's log books missing, if there's, you know, like a lien on the plane, like we talked about, um, you know, those are some things. But I've seen some airplane condition where, you know, there's severe corrosion on, on structures, you know, very bad oil leaks and things like that. And if you're not willing to take on the responsibility of getting that fixed, I would say walk away from the airplane and, you know, continue your, your search. I even ask whenever Rich and I do these for planes that I'm going to buy, I always ask, okay, what's the estimated dollar amount? Like what's the best case scenario on this and what's the worst case? Uh, like best case scenario, hey, we we clean this and um, we put something on it, and now it's good for another two thousand hours, and that costs five hundred dollars. Or worst case, we have to replace the entire wing, and that costs ten thousand dollars. So I ask Rich for like the worst case and best case on fixing certain things. Then I'll normally go to somebody and say, hey, how can I? How can we reach an agreed price? Because I'm going to take the risk on fixing these items, and that's only if I'm comfortable taking the risk fixing items. Now, if I'm just a a normal buyer, I probably don't want to put my airplane into maintenance for another month right after I buy it. I want it to be good right away. So when that happens, most people should walk away and uh, and make sure that you don't make sure you don't give a non-refundable deposit at that. Even like make sure it's a refundable deposit. 
under that circumstance. You now, sometimes just part of the negotiation, you might lose your money, but it's totally worth losing your money um, on the pre-buy inspection and and paying that cost rather than ending up with a junk airplane that you're literally spending a hundred grand on over the next year trying to trying to put money into it. And the last thing I kind of want to note on this whole subject is whenever you go buy an airplane and get the pre-buy inspection, plan on putting 10 to 20% of whatever your purchase price is. That means if you buy a $100,000 airplane, plan on putting 10 to $20,000. If you buy a million dollar airplane, plan on spending a dollars to $200,000 on maintenance and upgrades over the next year. Like the first year of ownership is going to be the most expensive for you. You're going to find all the little baby squawks that you don't like, like the uh, jacks don't work for for passengers in the back, or they're they're crackly, or you'll you'll find that your cigarette lighter doesn't work, so you can't plug in your phone charger into it. Like little things like that will break and be annoying for you. So you want to make sure that you have a budget set aside to update, upgrade, or fix little problems that come up, because. The person selling this airplane, they're probably selling it because they don't use it that often. I mean, most people, they sell airplanes they don't use that often. So now you want to make sure that you're, because you're going to put on like a bunch of hours on that airplane the first year you own it. So it's going to be used a lot more. So things are going to break a little bit more often. So that's why I say keep that extra padding in there. And I, I just want to add one more thing as well. Um, when you do find a plane that you're looking for, hire somebody that's never seen the airplane before, uh, whether it's me and you have to send me across the country or whether it's somebody, you know, local near the airplane, it's just make sure they haven't seen the plane before just because a fresh set of eyes on the airplane can see a lot more. Uh, I know firsthand I've, you know, had airplanes for sale from my customers where I had somebody else come and do a pre-buy and find stuff that I miss, which, you know, I'm human. Humans miss things. I, I just highly recommend that somebody who hasn't seen the airplane before is the one to do the pre-buy. That really is is really awesome uh, advice to give out uh, because we are human. Uh, just like people miss things on on uh, pre flight inspections, pilots that happens quite often. Actually, um, sometimes even I'll give I'll mess around with my students and I'll actually write them down so I don't forget what I did. But I'll leave things that should be safety items, and people will miss them. It's because they don't use their checklist or or they're just human. They just missed it. I mean, it is what it is. So um, like Rich said, get someone who with never had eyes on that airplane. And I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. Don't let the seller recommend somebody for a pre-buy inspection. Um, it's not advisable whatsoever. So uh, thanks so much for being on with us today, Rich. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. I can't wait to be back for another session uh, soon. Yeah, let's get another uh, 40 episodes or so, and then we'll have you back on. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being on with us, Rich. So seriously, as much as we joke around, I really do enjoy learning from you. You have a lot to teach us, um, a lot to teach me, so I do appreciate it. And buying an airplane, it's a huge purchase. At minimum, it's like buying a car uh, or a bike, if we're talking about that 152. <laughs> and on the other hand, it could be like buying a house or even a mansion if you want to get really far up there. And it's something you really do want to do the right way and not just wing it. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> so taking an experienced IA like Rich with you can ensure you really know what you're getting into and you don't have a huge surprise down the road. That's all very, very important. So again, thanks so much, Rich. And uh, if you'd like to reach out to uh, any of us, you can reach uh, Carson and I on Twitter or Instagram at Mr. Martini Guy or at Carson underscore AV17. We also have our emails up. You can reach us at Carson or Brandon uh, at aviationmentors.com. And of course, you can find Rich and his services at kavuaeroservice.com. 
And as a wrap up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride. See ya.